Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 124. We are still within this very serious and dramatic time of Jesus in the Last Supper with his disciples. Last week we saw where in the week before we had ended the text in John where Jesus again reiterated that he was going to lay his life down, and his his disciples seem to be troubled about that again. Um, and Jesus is they don't like it. He's uh, reassuring them by saying, using this first century wedding imagery to say that in his father's house are many rooms, and where he's going, he's going to prepare a place for his followers and he's going to come back and it's going to be this grand reunion of sorts this marriage of of God and humanity as he restores all things after the resurrection and as he comes as the conquering king that they've all been seeking and searching for and then you have disciples asking him questions like Thomas like we don't know where you're going like can you show us the way and Jesus is reminding him like I am the way I'm the truth I'm the life I am that primordial wisdom, that primordial light of creation that you've seen in the beginning in Genesis 1, and the way to God has been consistent ever since the beginning, and I am showcasing that again through my life. And if you've known me, you've known the Father. Like with Abraham and Isaac, their image was so similar that if you saw one, you saw the other. The same with Jesus and his character and God and his character. Yeah. And Philip asked something similar to that, and then Jesus is kind of reiterating that and seemingly a little frustration that they're still not getting it after they've been together for three years now. And it's interesting that he says, if, if you don't believe anything else, believe in the works themselves. Like, believe in the things that I have done and how I have fulfilled Torah to showcase what a righteous life and pursuing righteousness looks like. Yeah. And then finally, we had this bit about Jesus saying, like, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And that is so hard in our current modern day because we think that we can ask God anything if we're doing it in his name and it's going to come true. But that's not what Jesus was advocating um, at all. Yeah. He's not a cosmic bellhop. It's, I don't know. That that phrase is just so classic in my mind because it really, that's how so many people treat it. It's tough. Yeah. So, okay. So we're in the middle of this big farewell address, farewell discourse. Uh, I don't know what else maybe you've heard it called. And so far, you know, every, you've, you've done the review. This is good. And now... I mean, you might think, because of the sort of the nature of this podcast and all the things that we've said, this might be one of our favorite parts. And if you thought that, you'd probably be right. But let's go ahead and say it out loud anyway. We're in John, we're in chapter 14, and we're looking at verses 15 through 21. And of course, you'll hear the, the fun part right at the beginning, but let, we'll do the whole thing. If you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay. Got a quiz for you, Samuel. How do you properly love Jesus? Keeping God's commandments. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that you said keeping God's commandments, and we're going to address that in just a second. Now, how do we, another quiz question, Samuel, how do we know if, you know, I, you, me, we, anyone, how do we know if anyone loves Jesus? I mean, keeping God's commandments. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. How do you do it? How do you properly love them? You keep the commandments. How do we know if some, well, they'll be keeping them, right? But then, and this is why I kind of keyed on the fact that you said keeping God's commandments, the question always comes up, well, what are his commandments? Now, if we review for a second, review, he did just give them a new one, didn't he? Of course, we talked about it. It wasn't entirely new, but that's not what he's talking about. Let's get right to it. Jesus' commandments are God's commandments. They're one and the same. And we can look at this from both perspectives. I mean, let's just pretend for a moment that you're a person, you don't believe that Jesus is in fact God. Well, it doesn't matter. The answer is the same. Jesus' commandments are God commandments because you can see that Jesus lived them out perfectly. His very life, his very existence was Torah, if we could just say it that way. And then, of course, you know, let's take the other extreme. What if you believe that Jesus is, in fact, God? Well, <laughs> same answer. Jesus' commandments are God's commandments because, duh, they're one and the same. So it doesn't, it doesn't even matter what you think or believe about other things. Jesus' commandments are God's commandments. I, t- to me, That just seems logically, and of course, I think scripturally, it's just clear. But now, here's the thing, Samuel. I want you to read from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Okay. And now I'd like you to read Psalm 102, verse 27. And just to help the the listener, he happens to be speaking about God. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Okay. Now, that phrase, but you are the same, the Hebrew underneath that, it's more like, it sounds strange in English, but you are he. 
Or maybe, and this might sound a little more easy to get in English, but you are you. Here's the point. It's emphasizing the sameness, the unchanging nature. And remember, God has this name. Jews won't even pronounce it or whatever. It's, and, and I don't think we're pronouncing it correctly or whatever. Who knows? Whatever. But God, what is this? Uh, when, when God is speaking with Moses and he's introducing himself and he's trying to help Moses understand exactly what is behind this name, what's the meaning of this name, Yahweh, what does God say? What's his phrase there? I am who I am. Yeah, yeah. And, and that also, that name, it's his very name. It, it's that idea that he is unchanging. He's promise-keeping. He is forever faithful, all that kind of stuff. Now, just want to throw this in also. It isn't to say that God is so rigid that he can't bend with circumstance. Because he does. We see it in scriptures. God, he's said to literally have changed his mind. Now, again, that doesn't mean that he stopped being the same forever and ever. He's, he's flexible in working with humans in a specific circumstance. And what we're saying is that it's not any kind of actual change of his character or nature. Just one example, Samuel. I pulled part of Exodus 32, verses 7 to 14. Read the little bit that I pulled out of there. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Yeah. Now think about that. I mean, you, you could go read the whole thing, verses 7 through 14. But God had spoken that he was going to do a thing. God, same thing for a second. In the very, very, very beginning of your Bible... What did God do? He spoke creation into existence. Yeah. All creation came into being just because God spoke it. And here, God spoke disaster, destruction on his people. God spoke it, and yet Moses sort of negotiated with him, and God relented, changed his mind. I mean, it's, it's amazing just to imagine that. And yet, he is forever unchanging. The point is this. Yeah, Paul, why are you talking about all this stuff? The requirement to keep the commandments to demonstrate your love for Jesus, or we could say for God, it's the same. And here's the key. It's the same whether you existed before Christ, during Christ, after Christ, whatever. God is unchanging. Jesus is unchanging. They've been around forever. There's no... Oh, Jesus came on the scene and everything changed. No, it didn't. It was the same the whole time. So that is an important thing we need to kind of get our eyes, get our heads wrapped around. Now, having said that, Jesus makes an awesome promise. He's going to ask God and God's going to give them the spirit of truth to be with them forever as a helper. Crazy, right? Forever as a helper. So you kind of see some hints of not only what we see in the now, but also the not yet, the new covenant, when we're resurrected and all of that. Now, this is something, though, looking at the text, it's something that is exclusive for those humans that are his. The rest of the world doesn't see him or know him. So in this context, I think we could say, well, for sure, he's talking about the disciples. But then I think it's very reasonable to say, well, by extension, that would be 
believing Israel, not all of Israel, because those that didn't believe, I think there's trouble there. It's a problem there. But we could even extend further and say, you know what, that's all believers. That's even usans. So if we are those who keep his commandments, well, then we also are those who have the spirit of truth. And Jesus adds just one more remarkable thing. They already know this spirit that he's speaking of because he already dwells with them. Now, in what way does he do that? Well, Jesus has the Spirit on him in fullness. It remains on him. So they've been, in a sense, becoming familiar with this Spirit all of the time. They've been hanging out with Jesus. Now, we can, just to be clear, we can rightly look back and say that the Spirit has interacted with humanity all along in history, all along in the Scriptures, and yet, somehow, this is something more or different. What Jesus is pointing to here is, okay, you've got the spirit that remained in him, and it dwelled with them while he while it was with him, and they are somehow going to experience some measure, in some way, that same spirit in them soon as well. And I keep saying in them, I do believe that that ultimately extends to us even today. Now, why? Why do we have the Spirit? Right here, Samuel, what are we talking about in this context? Well, the section is bookended by this dichotomy between loving and keeping commandments. Right! Commandments! Think about this, Samuel. In the book of Acts, and, and everybody likes to point to, what is it, Acts 2 or whatever? When this happens, that first big special moment, it's Pentecost... Samuel, what is Israel celebrating when they're when they're celebrating the festival of Pentecost? They are celebrating the giving of the Torah from God to Israel on Mount Sinai. Yeah, they are celebrating the giving of commandments. And so if on Pentecost the spirit is given in this sort of new and different way, well, One purpose of the Spirit, I mean, this should be very easy to see logically. The primary purpose, I would argue, is to help us to know the commandments, and that is to understand the deeper meaning, the justice, the mercy, etc., things we always talk about. And I would even suggest, in some way, in some degree, to help us keep them. Now, could it be that there is a modern human, you know, Samuel, a, a human that's alive today who could do some sort of, I don't know, sign or miracle or prophecy or, or something by the Spirit in the same way that Jesus did? It's definitely possible. Sure, sure. Just because it hasn't happened to me or you or, or someone we know, well, that doesn't mean that it isn't real and isn't happening. Now, Samuel, are there also people who are goofy and make things up and give, you know, say that it's God doing it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, of course, that happens too. But listen, what I'm getting at is, even though the Spirit may, in fact, still do those things, in fact, I would go so far as to say, I believe that He does, it just isn't near as much as some people would have you believe. The point is, that's not the primary purpose. If that never happens for you, well, you haven't been ripped off or cheated 
you want to do something miraculous like Jesus did? Okay, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Not I don't know. You're not ripped off or cheated. The Spirit is for the aligning of wills or the prioritization of wills, his will over ours. And it's the required instruction to accomplish that. So, so having the Spirit, a lot of people look at this like, oh my gosh, we've got the Spirit. We have to go do miracles. No, you don't. I, I, I hope that happens for you, but that's not the primary point. It's about loving him, keeping commandments, understanding what the commandments are about. It's not rule keeping. It's actually modifying, forming your character to be like his. So anyway, there's that. What else do we have here? Jesus offers more encouragement about the events to come. Though he's going to go to the cross, right? He's going to die before their eyes. They won't be like orphans. Please, sir, I want some more. Samuel, when you got orphans and they lose their parents, I mean, it's usually suddenly or whatever, well, there's no changing that. They're just gone. But in this case, Jesus will, in fact, be back. He's going to come to them again, resurrected. They're going to see him live again. And this, okay, that much of it, that's the final proof they need to know that mankind not only can, but will live again. Resurrection, life after death, it's real. But it doesn't even stop there. The Spirit is going to dwell with them, be in them. And of course, that's the same Spirit that Jesus had. It's, it's going to be like he is with them. Now, he uses the phrase, in that day, and We've talked about this. This could be looking forward to when they have the Spirit, or it could be looking ahead to our resurrection. Both work, because the the common phrase, in that day, is usually talking about, you know, the final day, the day of redemption, judgment, life, all of that stuff. Uh, So so it it would normally refer to that, but in context, it really does seem that it's referring to the giving of the Spirit, this more immediate kind of stuff. That's going to be the final proof that Jesus is in the Father. Now, it's not in the text here, but we also know the Father in him. And it also is going to be the final proof that we are in him and he is in us. The Spirit plays a role in that. And then Jesus brings it all back to where he started. The one who has his commandments and keeps them. So it's that idea of not only do you know about them and understand them, something like a mental thing, but you also keep them. So it's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. If you've got both, okay, that's the one who actually loves him. If you love Jesus by keeping the commandments, God will love you. Jesus will love you, and Jesus will manifest himself to you. First, like we see in the resurrection, but then via the Spirit. Now, we enter into unity with the Father when we walk according to His will. It's, okay, it's it's a somewhat mystical union or unity that we share. We share it with God, we share it with Jesus, but it's just like Jesus being in the Father and the Father in Him, we are in Jesus and Jesus in us. So I don't know feel like I said a lot of stuff, Samuel. Anything good in there? 
Or bad. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's a lot to take in, and ah. I'm sure that this is for those that are listening to this that let's just say that they're more leaning or they've been more accustomed to I don't know how to describe it other than like the grace movement like this is going to be a a tough section for them to wrestle with I do want to point out man I tried to find the specific reference either in the scriptures themselves or extra biblical text but while you were going through this section, something popped in my brain that I had remembered hearing previously that there are these two requirements within traditional Orthodox Judaism that they pictured that someone who was going to be Messiah had to exhibit or display. Mm. And if those two were not present, like it's an automatic no. And I can't remember what one of them was, but the, the other one was they upheld the Torah, that they did yeah. not do anything to take away from Torah or add anything to Torah. And so Jesus here at the end of his story, you know, hours before he's going to get arrested and eventually, you know, crucified and killed, he still is upholding that requirement that the people and culture in his day were the standard that they were holding for Messiah. He never relented right. from prioritizing God's commandments in his life or for his followers' lives. Yeah, and that is really important. Samuel, tell me, I'm guessing you've heard it. I know I've heard it in my life. People actually talk about Jesus like his purpose in coming was to show how stupid it was for people to keep trying to follow, you know, the law and the Torah and all that kind of stuff, and he was leading people to a new and better way. And it's so shocking to me, to my senses, to hear that, because exactly what you said. It was, he was the exact opposite of that. Everything about his life was, hey, look, see, Torah's awesome. <laughs> right? it's, it's just amazing to me. But, yeah. Anything else? That's all for now. All right. Well, uh, let's keep going, because, you know, we're in John, and we've got to try to make progress where we can. <laughs> Still in chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 22 to 26. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay. Now, let's just see what we got in here. First of all, 
It's, it's the other Judas. It's not Iscariot. John, you know, we're, we're actually thankful now that John's being specific about that. And we've talked about this before. Scholars, they're trying to piece this together. They think that this is Thaddeus. Okay. Anyway, he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. How are you going to manifest to us and not the world? Why are you going to manifest to us and not the world? Well, from the, the why kind of perspective, this might be something like, why aren't you going to be that conquering king that the whole world will know? Or, you know, something of like, something like that. I don't know. From the how perspective, how are you going to manifest to us and not the world? Uh, I don't know. Maybe there are a few different ideas trying to just figure out what's in Judas's head, Thaddeus's head. You know, if we think physically, uh, resurrected Jesus is said to have appeared to hundreds of people. I don't know, 500-ish, more, something. So even physically, it's he didn't appear to, you know, the world. Uh, you could say that. Uh, but the topic all around here seems to be more focused on the Spirit. So maybe Judas just doesn't understand the idea of the Spirit actually uh, dwelling in us. Jesus does talk about that a little bit here as we go. Or, or... Maybe he thinks, well, if they do have the Spirit like Jesus does, how could the world not know? I mean, that's a reasonable question, maybe, right? Or maybe even it's something along the lines of he just wants to know, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between a one human that doesn't get the Spirit and the other one that does? And it, we really don't know what's really behind Thaddeus's question, Jesus answers the way he answers, and it's either because he thinks that's what he needs to hear, or he thinks it's what Thaddeus was really looking for, or we don't even know that. But, But anyway, Jesus starts by repeating himself. If anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments, or my word. I'd like to point out, just just notice real quickly, we've just exceeded Israel, explicitly. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, maybe I'm reading more into the text than I should, but you know what? It's there. I mean, we should at least acknowledge it. But then, then Jesus goes on, I don't know, maybe gets a little crazy. Then my father will love him. If you're keeping his commandments, keeping his word, the father will love him. And then, and we, that would be seemingly Jesus and the Father, will come and make our home with him. <laughs> Wait a second, Samuel, you ever hear anything where Jesus and, and God are in fact coming to tabernacle inside us? I haven't considered that before. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like anything we've ever heard, except, let's go just one step further, what is talked about that's going to come and dwell with us? Uh, the Spirit. Right, right. So how does, how is it that we, Jesus and the Father, come and make their home with, you know, the one who keeps his commandments? Well, it's the Spirit of truth that dwells in him. So the indwelling Spirit (laughs) is the Father and the Son. It's kind of hard not to see the Trinity in that. Now, I know lots of people love the Trinity. In fact, they love it so much, if you don't believe it, you're not even a Christian. Okay, maybe that's a little extreme. I know others that really struggle with the idea, and it's understandable because it's a difficult idea. It's a mysterious topic. But we can argue over the points, but you have to see 
oh my gosh, there is something to this. Jesus is talking in a way where he's kind of making some equality between Jesus and the Father and the Spirit and all of this. And just as a side note, this does not have to. It does not necessarily destroy this idea of God is one. And that's where Judaism really struggles with the idea, Christianity, Trinity, stuff like that, because God is one. And I don't think it destroys that, but... Oh my gosh, that's a topic for another day because I'm thinking that would be multiple podcasts in and of itself, but I'm just making the statement. I don't think it destroys it. So in case all of this wasn't clear, Jesus is adding that those who do not love him, and, and to be more clear, well, they're not keeping his word, his words. And from the context, I think we have to say we're talking about commandments, Torah. And Jesus adds, if you don't like that, you can take it up with God. I mean, Jesus says it. I'm just saying what God says, what he's telling me to say. So side note, if you get this image in your head of, I don't know, the Spirit's just teaching you all that you need to know, and there's no need for you to do any sort of study or work on your own. You don't need to care so much about the scriptures, especially Old Testament, Torah, whatever. Okay, I'm just going to say that you are, well, mostly wrong. Now, certainly God is able to do that. Certainly the Spirit is able to do that, but it's fraught with difficulty. The, the, the Spirit working in you without Torah, well, it's like a couple different things. On one hand, it's kind of like creeping along in your car at one or two miles an hour. That's not very fruitful. The Spirit working in you with Torah, it's kind of like cruising around in your car at 100 miles an hour. But there's also this, Samuel. I'm going to use just one specific phrase, okay? Let's just pretend that the only way that God ever interacts with humanity is that it's a voice in our head, okay? Let's just say that. Now, Samuel, if you hear a voice in your head, what are some possible sources of that voice? Um... It could be something supernatural or divine. It could be something, I could have some kind of mental illness. I could have schizophrenia. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Actually, yeah. So those are the two that came to mind initially. Yeah. Well, let's stick with the spiritual. It could be divine, like as in God. It could be the Holy Spirit. That could be that voice in your head. But hey, spiritually speaking, couldn't it also be the enemy? Yeah. Satan, right? Yeah. So, So you got those two. How about... And, and your point about schizophrenia or some other mental disease, okay, that's, a, that's another one. That's real. But that sort of relates to the other one that I was thinking of. Just uh, I was thinking just more, even just like your average Joe human. Let's just say there isn't anything particularly wrong with him at all, but is he not still possibly only hearing his own voice? Mm-hmm. I'm convincing myself of things, whatever. See, there's this human justification, rationalization stuff that goes on in us. So in effect, the scripture, the Torah, all that stuff, it acts as an external standard that we, that is like me and the Spirit, we can sort of use to override our humanness. It's how we can be confident that we are, in fact, being taught, led, guided, whatever, by the Spirit, and not just 
making stuff up in our head or being tricked by the enemy or whatever. There's going to be real agreement between the two. Now, just to say one more little bit, it doesn't mean that the Spirit's going to speak and you're going to open up your Old Testament or Torah or whatever and look for words that match. Okay, sometimes that might be the case, but sometimes it's not. The point is that through study of Torah learning, what you're actually learning is God's character, God's attributes, all of those things. And so when the Spirit speaks, you're going to recognize the the connection, the sameness, the oneness, all of that. So anyway, uh, Jesus also, he gives us just a little more insight into the work and purpose of the Spirit. The Father's the one who sends the Spirit, and he sends the Spirit in Jesus's name, which is to say it's a representative of Jesus. He's acting on Jesus's behalf, and it is in fact a mission, if you will. So the Spirit will teach us all things. And another way to say that is he helps us understand the true meaning and goal of Torah, which is another way of just saying we will know God's character. We will will be able to image him because we will be aligning with him. The Spirit's going to help, well, he's going to help them to remember Jesus's words, like literally, okay? But he's going to help, I think, all of us to remember Jesus's words. For the disciples, it was a little different, but we have, you know, the Gospels and the New Testament. Jesus himself says his words are God's words. And so we have all of, you know, Old Testament, Torah, prophets, all of that as well. And all of those things, all of these words that we're talking about, this is just another way of saying it's, it's a manifestation of God's will. Now, all of this, the teaching, Jesus' words, it's going to be at the forefront of our minds. They're going to be like a filter through which we experience the world. And they will be the will that we must conform our will to. Not sure that was proper English, but whatever, you get the point. Yeah, this is... (laughs) This is complex, Paul. I know thinking about the relationship between the spirit and the commandments of God and our relationship to them. I mean, I'm totally in agreement with you saying that the spirit's just not going to transmit stuff into your mind and being effortlessly as a believer that it requires laboring, studying, getting into the meat of God's Word. I guess one of the things I'm wrestling with is I'm thinking about so many people across the world who they have that hunger for God, they thirst for wanting to know God, and even that effort is there. Mm -hmm. But depending on their circumstances, where like where they are, what type of people they're surrounded by, the church they're associated with, the things that they're learning about God's commandments are causing so many problems in their understanding of who God is, who like what his commandments are actually about. And it, it just creates misconceptions and right. it, there's there's a 
a lack of clarity and knowing knowing the true heart of God. And I'm I guess I'm just I mean there's no way for us to answer this, but I'm just wondering like if if the Spirit really is tied directly to the text, why is there still so much differentiation when people come with that fervor and you're left with <laughs> so much craziness between differing groups and stuff I, I don't know i just yeah part of me feels like if if god sees the earnestness in someone's heart internally of wanting to know him that the spirit should be able to reveal like the original context but maybe this is where you know sin and death and the human problem get in the way i don't know yeah it's it is it's a great question samuel and it is really hard and i've struggled with it just as you have and somewhere in there, somewhere in there, we have to think, uh, maybe, maybe let's take it from a couple, couple different perspectives. One is that, okay, what we've, what we've shown, what humanity has shown, is that in the same way we weren't really good at listening to God or listening to his scriptures, Torah, whatever, following covenants, any of those things, in a very similar way, <laughs> we're not really very good at listening to the Spirit. So you could say the answer to the question is as simple as something like that. The reason it looks like the body all across the world is kind of weird or goofy or, or not very effective or whatever a lot of times, well, it's just because we're just not really listening. Another one is, and and this is the one that, that's always hard, I think, to hear, is it is so, I mean, okay, like the, the words that you use, they, they, they speak exactly what is inside me. It just seems like if God is all-knowing and all-capable and all-perfect and all this and all that, why isn't it working better? Why, you know, what what's going on? And it comes down to that thing of, look, I can't explain God's plan. I can't explain how the, the entire history of humankind that we know and, and read about, how was this the best way to go about it? You know, this seems horrible. And, and I, just, you know, understand the spirit of my words. It seems like God could have done a way better job than that, <laughs> right? And of course... At some point, you have to go, oh my gosh, Paul, be humble, understand that he is God and that you are not, and that you just can't see and understand all that's going on, and that somehow this really is all in God's hands, in his control in some way, and this is working toward an end that is going to be good. But yeah, I'm like you, Samuel, in that Okay, so I don't think we can really answer the question. I just think those are a couple of ideas to have in your head to just go, I don't know. Maybe it's stuff like that. Yeah. Anything else? No, no. I'll let that sit and marinate for a while. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. We are going to work ourselves to just an awesome end. That We don't do that very often. We're going to do that today. No, it's no going to be great. No cliffhangers? Oh, no, no, nothing even like that. Well, maybe something sort of like that. Well, we'll see when we get there. Here we go. We're continuing in John chapter 14. This is verses 27 through 31. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Okay. Sounds like a big ending, doesn't it, Samuel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Well, we'll get that when we get that. He starts with peace I leave, right? That thing. He knows that he is leaving them, and this is his goodbye. Now, where others may make a last will and testament to leave behind their possessions, that's true today. It was also true back in Jesus' day, whatever. But Jesus doesn't give in that way. It's not as the world gives. Not that there's anything wrong with last will and testaments and all that kind of stuff. That's all fine. It's just Jesus doesn't give in that way. On one hand, when he says his peace that he leaves, okay, this could include stuff like, okay, peace, like we would think of it, prosperity, success, welfare, health, friendliness, deliverance, salvation. And, and I'm sure that all of those kinds of things are indeed in view here because it's, that's, that's kind of like the messianic age. That, that's a, a thing that we always should know we're, we're pointing toward. But Jesus, he was, he, was, he was just talking about the Spirit, God sending the Holy Spirit. And so this is how Jesus gives. He, he will leave, and yet he will remain with them. Ultimately, through the Spirit. We know he's resurrected, he hangs around for a little while, but it's ultimately through the Spirit. And he repeats himself, let not your hearts be troubled. And he even adds more, neither let them be afraid. Now, this is some serious peace, right? If your heart is not troubled, your heart's not afraid, whatever, that is peace. And think of it, it's in the midst of an unpeaceful world. I think anybody who has lived anywhere they, they, they recognize this is an unpeaceful world. And so we must be getting some serious kind of help from the Spirit. This is an awesome thing. If you do not have peace, if you do not have, or if you have fear, that kind of thing, you, you at least can look at this and say, you know what? There is something more, something more in this Spirit. There's a peace that I can have, and you can continue to pursue that with God. And, and I think he will deliver, ultimately. But anyway, Jesus continues. He tries again. He wants to orient their minds around what's really happening here. It's, it's the big picture. And he makes this statement. If they had really understood what was happening, 
the way he says it is, if they had really loved him, they would be rejoicing right now. Why? Because he is going to be with God. Now, obviously, they would be sad for themselves. I mean, we've all, I'm sure, experienced death of a loved one, someone close. It's sad. And it's not, it's not as if that isn't a real thing. But even though they may feel that sort of sadness, they should be glad for him because he's returning to God's side. And even more than that, they should be glad for what is actually being accomplished. And now let's talk about that. What is being accomplished? Well, he is fulfilling Israel's side of the covenant. God has been faithful to his covenant all the way through, and he will continue to be until heaven and earth cease to be. That's when the covenant ends. And so Israel, or we could say humanity, has not been faithful. But Jesus comes along and he does it. He represents all Israel in himself and even all humanity. And because of that, this is so key. He, I'm going to pull out a big word, Samuel, he efficaciously brings about the redemption. We do works. Why do we do them? Because of what God has done for us. Do they save us? No. But at, at the best, you know, it's, it's like part of our inheritance and it identifies us as his. But Jesus did it and it actually brought about the redemption. His was efficacious. It made it happen. He also became the high priest in the heavenly tabernacle. That's a big deal. His blood on the altar, bringing us, allowing us to draw near to God eternally. This, this is awesome. He fulfilled his role as a true human. And because he did that, he's now ruling alongside God, the very thing that humanity was created to do in the beginning. So he's, he's accomplishing all of these great things. And so they should be able to see that and be glad because of that. Samuel he slips in here something that, oh, this is so, this is just such a huge deal for me. He says, the father is greater than I. And here we have yet another instance of Jesus living according to, I don't know, roles, boundaries, something like that. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think that this is in any way negating an idea like the Trinity. I, you know, I, I have no problem with the Trinity personally, right? I think it's cool. But it doesn't negate that idea, but it does help us to better understand an idea like the Trinity. Somehow within the Trinity, the, okay, there, there is this oneness, this unity, and at the same time, there is this, there's, there's distinction. There, there's, as it would be said in tradition, they, they are distinct persons, right? But this God, the Father, he has a preeminent role. And so even though they are in some sense unified, there, there's unity, there's an equality in, in a sense, God also has a preeminent role. And so it's a, it's, it's a very mysterious thing. It's all very mysterious. But, but Jesus, he says again that he's saying these things now, 
And he, he pretty much knows that they're not really understanding. They're not really getting it. But it's so that they might believe later. It's that idea that their faith is going to be shaken. It might even be shaken badly. But knowing that Christ Jesus, he, he, he said all this stuff, he predicted it. Well, you know what? That's going to help. And, and it's probably going to be one of those things that actually gets them through. Their faith ultimately will stand. And then Jesus informs them that their time is coming to a close, and he talks about the enemy. And the enemy is coming, and, and I think in that we can hear this idea that he's, you know, the enemy's going to do his worst. But Jesus makes another incredibly powerful statement. He, the enemy, the ruler of this world, whatever, he has no claim on Jesus. And why is that, Samuel? Do you know? What's the reason that Satan has no claim on Jesus? Uh, oftentimes when I think about, you know, Satan, the enemy, the original words in Hebrew and Greek are like accuser. So you've got this like, uh, legal system kind of vibe going on where the enemy is coming before who he is subject to. And that's God to try to bring claims of what so-and-so has done that has violated God's commandments in order to get a ruling of guilt, guiltiness for them. And for Jesus, like, there's nothing that the enemy could bring to God's justice table to say, like, look what Jesus did. Like, he deserves to be guilty. Like, there, there is nothing on his slate. Exactly. He's completely sinless. So the ruler of the world has no claim because there is no sin. But then Jesus adds, but I will be obeying the Father. So he's going to do exactly what the enemy wants. But he's doing it because, not because the enemy wants it, but because God wants it. It's just, it's, it's an amazing thing. So that the world may know that Jesus loves the Father. Jesus is going to submit to undeserved suffering and death orchestrated by the enemy, but it's not because the enemy has any claim or any power or any anything, but it's because God wants him to. God's will above his own will. That is the image. That is the example of loving the Father. And it is precisely what we also must do. It's what we're called to do. It's what we're, uh, to use Scripture, predestined to do, to be in the image and likeness of his Son. Mm-hmm. So the, it, oh, it's just it's so amazing and so good. And the story gets great later, but we still got to get through John's stuff. So then Jesus ends up with, rise, let us go from here. And Samuel, it sounds like the end of his farewell discourse. And I guess, to be fair, it is. It's an end. <laughs> And Jesus even says, I will no longer talk much with you, which is kind of ironic because even though we're going to end here today and it feels like a really good ending, it's actually not the end. We've got like three more chapters of John with more of this farewell discourse stuff in them. Now, we don't really know what the story is behind that. Uh, the, the speculation is, I don't know, it's something on the lines of, well... You know, there were more than one copy of John's letter, and and John wrote other things at other times, and so this farewell discourse existed 
in more than one format, and so ultimately two of them got stuffed into John's gospel together. Uh, You know, you get the idea. People are just trying to figure out, why does it seem like he did everything, ended it, and then he turns around and says it all again, just kind of a different way, you know, whatever. We're just going to go through it and deal with it, but for now, here ends the Farewell Discourse, part one. Isn't there also argument that the stuff that Jesus is going to be talking about in later chapters, his discourse in John especially, you could treat that as time in solitude praying to God just privately? Oh, well, uh, sure, I guess you could. I guess you could. I mean, it, it definitely has the the appearance of him speaking to them. But you know what? Okay. We're, we're going there on the next uh, yep. episode, so we'll just find out what we got. <laughs> That's yeah. a good, good point. Yeah. Um, this per- perfect opportunity for me to say my catchphrase and us be done, but I uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. something just came to mind in this previous section, this um, at the very beginning in John fourteen twenty seven, when this this peace that he's leaving and giving to his disciples it i don't know if there's a connection but my mind just went there um it to me it's reminiscent to the priestly blessing in some ways in torah uh, that the high priest would uh give after the conclusion of services in the tabernacle and that's in numbers chapter six verses uh the little section is verses 22 through 27. Um, I can read it really quickly. Um, Do it. In verse 23, it says, Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, In this way you shall bless the sons of Israel. You are to say the, to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord calls his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. Yeah. And I I was just thinking, like, this is being said after the things that are done in the tabernacle to allow the people of Israel to draw near once again to God in a physical sense. They have, yeah. they have done some sort of atonement for whatever corruption, uh, uncleanliness is present within the fleshly sense. And in the same way, like, you could say that, like, what Jesus is offering to his disciples here is like, I'm about to do the work that's going to bring humanity near to God again on a spiritual sense. And he is, he's leaving them with the same kind of peace uh, for that reality that's coming. Um, So I don't know if there's a parallel there, but I thought it was kind of cool. Well, I actually find it quite amazing that you went there, because what you're going to see, it may take us a couple episodes to get there, but in this, you know, sort of second go at the farewell discourse, <laughs> at the end of it, like like the entire ending, many scholars look at that and go, hey, this is just a big priestly blessing right here. So we'll see that at the end of that one, too. And, and I think nice. it will be whatever you think you're seeing here, I think it's just going to get magnified there. So that's kind of cool. Cool. Yeah. Nice. More foreshadowing. That's right. Anything else? <laughs> I am done. Well, 
then we are done. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.